You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and I think we're going to have a good show for you today because we have a great guest, Rad Ganchos, who I've known hey, for Rick. quite some time. Hi, Rad. He is the principal of Rad Ganchos and Associates, and we're going to talk about his business and inspiration and what he's doing now. So let's get started. You've been in business for 19 years. Let's go back a ways. What was the original motivation you had to start your own business, Rad? Um, I think I, 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 interior design has been a, it was a, was a change of direction for me. I have an undergrad in economics and a master's in marketing from Drucker and ended up going into interior design. My dad is a civil engineer, so I grew up on job sites. It wasn't necessarily the intended path. So I, uh, am a firm believer of happy accidents and kind of being open to life, basically guiding you. Um, so interior design, um, came up as a something to do when the real estate market back in 91 crashed and I was working with a developer and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with myself? And ended up doing a, um, a um, interior design institute in Newport Beach, doing a degree a certification, like a summer certificate program. 12, and I thought, hey, 12 weeks of, of arts and crafts. That sounds like a good way of spending some time. Um, and then I, that I was actually, for the very first time in all my academic career, or path, I was raising the bar on myself, Rick. I was, it was an interesting reality. You weren't competing with other people in this, in this spot. I was competing with myself every semester. I want to kind of take it to the next level. So the appeal to me, um, kind of was two sided of my brain. It was a creative outlet, but also a solution provision. Like it was a creative solution, uh, working out a puzzle. And that's always appealed to me from way back. Um, whether it's trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, how an item would look like in 3D just in your mind. So there's, it kind of appealed to a lot of my stuff. And the motivation to go into interior design was that. It was, it was, it was feeding a part of me that was a nice mix of both sides of my brain. Uh, but I also knew that I wanted to do something that was variety-based. And so I focused on um, hospitality design, because if you're doing a hotel, you're doing a bar one day, you're doing a, a, a presidential suite another day, you're doing a restaurant of whatever kind a third day, they all kind of fall underneath that same umbrella of hospitality, of the same property in some cases. And so I like the variety of that, and I like the challenge that it was also very budget and time-based. Hmm. And so you have to basically deal with it from a, like almost like as a business. So that was the motivation back then. And I went and did an internship with a firm that was like number 16 in the world at the time for interior design out of LA. Ended up working for a couple of large firms, just kind of like uh, shameless name dropping here, Hirsch Bedner in Atlanta. Uh, although they have an office in LA, I couldn't get into LA or Chicago or New York in any of those primary markets. So I went to Atlanta, which at the time, 98, was starting to become a primary market right after the Olympics. And then I came back here because my folks were here and my, my sister and her family, I came back on an opportunity to go work for a company by the name of WATNG, which if you look at the spectrum, there's a ziggurat building right now. And it has big red letters on it, say WATNG, Wilson, uh, uh, Wimberley, Allison, Tongan, Goo. And they were, and I still are, a very prominent architectural firm for hospitality projects, for hotel projects. If you name about seven, you know, 10 projects, probably some of them worldwide are res they're responsible for in some degree or the other. 
So it's been a very rich uh, corporate background. And then when I went out on my own, I still wanted to have that appeal. But what I realized is, and I wanted my own, I, wanted, I, I didn't want to basically be sub corporate uh, structure. There was, there was a frustration, to be honest, and I think anybody who's been in that corporate space can tell you, there's a little frustration when, when you're sort of entrepreneurial in spirit that you feel like you don't have that room to basically go there. Um, and no disrespect to the companies. Companies were wonderful, and I learned a lot on those paths, but it was time. So when I went out, I realized that the level of sophisticated services and consultancy that we offered, the likes of Hyatt's, Ritz-Carlton's, Four Seasons, what have you, um, that was even almost super critical for mom and pops and brick and mortar. They needed that level of sophisticated business consultancy in order to basically make sure that the second mortgage they took on their house to expand their business isn't in jeopardy. Because if their business failed, it wasn't, oh, well, we'll just write it off and we'll just do something else next year as a corporation. It really impacted them hard. So I like to say to people that from the very beginning until now, it's always been creative solution provision for me. And we like to basically look at our business as a business consultancy that just happens to manifest itself in a three-dimensional physical environment. We, we design and uh, build stages for which people can perform their business on successfully, whether you're a bar, where you're, you're a retail location. And that has become more and more critical as we have had shifts in consumer behavior and purchasing patterns. The last couple of years is a huge indicator with COVID. How do you compete in that space? How do you how do you develop a, 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 and and evolve your your business ma matrix to where you continue to com be not only competitive but thrive? Um, it's it's a tough spot right now for a lot of people. And a lot of businesses didn't make it through COVID, mm -hmm. so that that's kind of how I got involved and got started. And I think it's still very much part of what drives me. So let, let's look back. You know, nineteen years—that's impressive. You reinvented yourself. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I'm wondering. How long after you hung your shingle, created your company, did you truly believe this business that you now lead was going to survive and thrive? <laughs> well, you know, you've interviewed enough, you know, entrepreneurs and, and sole proprietors to know that pretty much every day you wake up and you go, ah, am I going to make it to the end of the day today or not? <laughs> um, I think that, to be honest, I think we're kind of a kind of an interesting breed that way. I think that part that's part of what drives us is there's always a chance that you could misstep and you get more sophisticated and seasoned as you go ahead. I think what, what gave me confidence that this was a successful thing, again, like I said, it was never an aesthetic um, pretty picture for me. It was always sort of, it had to have a direct impact on the positive impact on the bottom line. The answer, the, the answer is money. What was the question? It had to have a genuine, you know, uh, return on investment, ROI. It had to have a unique value proposition. And if you were, the talent really lay in how to layer that offering for the client so that they don't call you. You were, when you walk out away and you're done, they have a, a stage that basically will sustain them for seven to 10 years, that their business isn't going to require a lot of more capital reinvestment into the space. They have something that will be will help to help them generate not only money, but to also support the philosophy in which they are conducting their business, regardless what the business is. So I knew that those those truths are universally always going to be of value. The question was, how do you convey to a person that is 
you know, it's easy to do for a corporation because the corporation has a little bit more mind breadth uh, and space to say, you know, we're looking at the big picture. This is a long term thing for the mom and pop, for the for the people that are basically really do, you know, in it, working every day on, on godly hours. How do you convince them that this does these building blocks are important and that they need to be proactive in how they put this together? They'll do it for you know, their, their balance sheets, they'll do it for their accounting, for their taxes. But how do you convince them that the physical environment that they are in can be as strong an asset to them in terms of sustaining their business as making sure that they have savings in the bank? And so I knew that there was value there. The, 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 I also knew that it wasn't going to be an easy task to get there, to get people to trust you enough to let you guide them in this way, and that it was a long-term investment. And I tend to be very much, uh, you know, a long-term investor in people, in relationships. It's never been transactional for me. It's always been relational for me. And I think that's served me well. So I, I kind of hide a confidence from the beginning, to be honest, Rick. Of, of course, there's been bumps along the way and, and, and pitfalls and knees, knees bumped against things. But I think at the end, I still wake up probably about, I won't say seven days out of the week, but let's say six days out of the week and kind of look forward to doing this and what I can bring the benefit of people and be of service for. So I want to ask you, you mentioned earlier COVID and you're focused on the retail space and your, your clientele. What have you seen over the past two years? What's been the impact of COVID on your clients as far as, as they look to reinvest or build out their physical space? Right. Well, I mean, we were, we were, I, I, I keep trying to remind people just to look kind of lessen the, the seeming um, just unbearable impact of COVID. That COVID really didn't start anything when it comes to that kind of stuff. It just accelerated it. It, 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 it we were already, if you're in a retail space, you're already facing challenges relevant to online sales. You were you were ch facing challenges because your your primary uh, mark uh, maybe uh, customer base may have been baby boomers. They were aging. Their change their behavior patterns were changing in terms of what they were spending money on. Uh, you 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 know you had you had an incoming millennial group, um, and 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 it's just different. And if any any business that's been around a certain duration of time has to constantly be in a reinvent and pivot and adjust. I mean, that's just the nature of business, right? And I think to add to the difficulties that many people faced is we went through about a decade of non-disruption, economic growth, everything was hunky-dory, all, 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 all signs pointed to more and more. And we forgot that, you know, you have to have a little bit of built-in agility to your business. So whether you're a retail store, whether you're a hotel, whether you're a bar. I mean, God, look at the restaurant food and beverage business over COVID, right? Who knew before COVID that they were going to be making so much money or even be allowed to make so much money with cocktail sales that are being delivered, right? That genie is never going back into the bottle, right? No way with the, with the profit margins on alcohol. Forget that. So hotels, how many people, you and I live in Orange County, you know, how many hotels opened up on along the freeway just before COVID or just as COVID happened, right? And they all got mothballed because these are brand new properties, but they got mothballed because travel stopped. Business travel is never going to go back to the way it was before because now we have high, hybrid work uh, situation, you know, or what it's, it's already has an acronym. It's uh, WFH, 
which almost sounds like a rude profanity. WHF, <laughs> right? It's work from home, right? I was surprised. I, I did a, I just did a presentation for a group called Powerhouse Smart in Chicago last week, and we focused on reimagining the home. Because um, if you stood up, and I'll just use a reference point for people, if you stood up at like a parking structure on Lido, like in Rita Marina, and you looked across the Newport Beach Harbor, you would see neighborhoods that are residential. You would see neighborhoods that are, you know, areas where there's office buildings. And you see areas where there's food and beverage. Well, before COVID, we used to go to work in the, in the office building and then pit stop at home on our way to go to the restaurant for entertainment. And then we basically would go back home maybe, you know, and sleep. And it was literally a pit stop. And then we went from having the home be a pit stop to where it's now a hybrid space. But the environment in the home, especially in even luxury market, the homes were all, we were, the, there was a push for being open floor plan, open floor plan, open floor plan. Well, how does that work when you have to have hybrid spaces within your home to be able to do what we're doing right here for a Zoom? You know, so now we've got terms like Zoom zones and Zen dens, which are basically fitness and wellness and a little meditation. And maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an insulated room where I can go scream because my kids are driving me nuts. Right. Or my wife or what, or husband or whatever. Right. So I think both the commercial space, which is our primary focus, and our, our, um, our residential space, because when we are working on somebody's business space, they like what we do and they ask us to do their homes. Those have completely changed. Hmm. And there is, a, there is a, a resistance to the human condition. I think you may agree with me. There's a resistance to change. So yeah. we, we, have, we have this, this, this still, I can still feel it. It's pretty, pretty out there. Oh, we can't, we don't have to wear masks anymore. Oh, we can go out anymore now and we can drive around as long as we can afford the gas in the cars, but we can drive now, right? And I want to go back to the normal that I know. There is no going back to that, nor should we actually, if you're smart and if you're a savvy business person in a service or product business, this is an opportunity to completely revamp the whole thing, to reinvent the right. whole thing. Blank piece of paper, you get to shape it the way you want it. And that is super exciting for me. Right, that you could actually have that kind of a paradigm opportunity to change things. I we do we do wellness, we do we do uh, spas and 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 uh, wellness centers and medical spaces and stuff like that. I have noticed. I, I just finished an assisted living project in Stanton. It's eighty thousand square feet, one hundred twenty-two bed, double occupancy. Right? You want to talk about the money that that comes comes from that kind of project? I think the projected uh, gross take is like seven million a year. On that wow. project, right? For, from double occupancy roommate situation for you seniors. So we've got an aging population. We've got assisted living. We've got wellness and spas. We've got nutrition and, and stuff like that. And what's happening, Rick, is there's a there's a hybriding that's happening. Like you, a baby boomer incoming market isn't going to go to a senior center. They're not going to really want to be out of their home because they like the familiar environment, they're healthier in most cases, they're able to maybe sustain a more independent lifestyle, but the whole environment around us, the municipalities, the policies and stuff like that do not support that. And you're talking about a $71 million population or customer base. So we were heading in this direction. We were heading in this direction. What COVID did is it accelerated the process and it made it undeniable that you either were going to get on that train and leave the station or it's going to leave you behind. And next thing you know, you're basically trying to get hold of a normal that there's, it's not even the next, the new normal, it's the next normal. And we should mm -hmm. be taking that kind of proactive action in make in shaping it, to be honest. 
So it sounds like to me that COVID for you personally and professionally has really kind of done a renewal of passion because you get a whole chance to be creative in a way that the marketplace previously didn't even consider needed this kind of blended creativity that you're bringing to this conversation today. It was harder. It was harder to sell because it's not a, you know, we, we tend to be a society that likes very clean, defined things that we can put in a neat little box and put on the shelf, right? Complex uh, layering of even people and personalities and backgrounds kind of confuse us a little bit sometimes. Uh, and we, we tend to live in a community, in a society that wants to package it that way because it's easier to sell, right? I can, I can, I can make that as a, my end profile and then I can basically target it with marketing dollars and stuff like that. When it becomes a complex situation, which we are in right now, like we don't know what the answers are. There's, there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, hesitance, confusion, because we don't know the answers. We also have been through this enough for long enough in a period of time over the next last couple of years that it's no longer a passing thing. Oh, this is not just summer vacation that's going to go by, you know, and I'll, I'll write about what, what what impact it was back in the day. We've got, we've got generations right now that basically didn't get a graduation when they graduated high school. We have people that basically started high school with like the first few months, basically, or or first six months, basically doing it remote, right? So those are acceptable realities for these for these kids now. If we project forward 20, 30 years, what is that expected reality and flexibility going to really mean in how it shapes our world? What are we going to gain? And at the same time, what are we going to lose? Are we going to lose that personal touch? You and I know that certain deals, regardless of what time or era it's going to be, it's going to come down to a face-to-face -face handshake or some people skills that are required to conduct that kind of connection. That's going to be a given, right? So when you have everything basically gearing towards remote and VR and AR and stuff like that, when does it, when, as a tool, it's usable and it's, and it's great and there's no one size fits all, but at the same time, what do we lose? So it's a very interesting time for us as a society having been shaken to our core with this thing called COVID. I actually, when I did the presentation, I started off, I don't know if you saw the video, I had it was on a little boat in, in, Marine, in, in Newport Beach Harbor, right? Well, that wasn't the intention, Rick. The intention was to point to the buildings like I was telling you about from the top of the, the parking structure in Marina Village, right? And instead, here comes the rain and I've got a camera guy and what do I do? And you and I live in a digital world. So it's like, what do I do? So I went down to the electric boat company, hired a boat, got out of there, and until that point, honest truth, until that point, the subject was so vast, I didn't know how to tie it together for a 12-minute presentation. So a storm hit, and I started ad-libbing and saying things like, you know, we survived the storm called COVID. Right. And the whole thing just linked together all the way down to the very end, which was a hilarious coincidence, where a rainbow shows up. And I'm talking about the gold at the end of that rainbow. Should we choose to actually embrace the opportunity to reinvent and reimagine? It's very funny. Yeah, that video is fantastic. And I think it's <laughs> it, it's one of the qualities of successful entrepreneurs. You have to pivot. You got you to gotta be flexible. And you certainly were in how you did that video. It turned out marvelously. That leads me to my next thought that I wanted to talk about with you. you sure. You have... You've been using social media effectively for quite some time, Brad. And I'd like if you very could, kind of you, sir. Thank you. That's my opinion. I wonder if you could talk with me about the evolution of what you're doing and the interview shows that you've done and just how you've seen this digital platform for helping your brand and your messaging and all that you're doing with it. Sure. Um, well, I mean, when any time that you get to basically um, amplify your own voice, does two things. 
one, you get to script the messaging, right? So you controlling it, you're not dependent on somebody else getting it right or wrong. And if, you know, if you're like me, I've had enough people try to write things up and get, get my background. That's not very linear, confused and complicated. And my parents were born in a place that they weren't and all that stuff. Right. But so, so there's a positive to that. You control your messaging. You are able to do that. Now it's not, it's not for everybody. It's a, it's, it's sort of uncomfortable for some people to do that. It's sort of like public speaking, you know, it, and it's a muscle. It's like the more you do it, the more you get comfortable with it. The other thing that's kind of really cool about being the person who basically does that is it it gives you courage to actually be transparent, not necessarily personal, but personable. And it develops your ability to showcase what the differentiating factors about you is. Because, you know, there's a ton of people that are Let's use just design as an example. They're absolutely talented and 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 worth every penny that you spend for their skills, right? So we're all in a competitive market. What is your unique value proposition? What is it that you bring to the table that may be of value to somebody? And you know, not everybody is a one size fits all. No, but not we are not the answer to everybody. So social media, and I'll just give you a little background. I've been online since 1994. Hmm. I have the bills to show where I paid a dollar a minute on AOL. Okay. <laughs> When, when we were still using 44 modems and, you know, and then, oh, my God, there was a higher modem now. We're, we're, we're in the space age now, right? So, so I, I, I've been online for a very long time. Part of that meant that I have a lot of people that I've been connected with that has grown organically over that period of time. Um, also, I happened to went to school overseas. I was born overseas. So for people that are sort of um, nomads, if you will, we were digital nomads before there was a term. You need you you got you got your uh, your long distance cards and you made calls on the phone and then you know you start you, you start using technology to maintain a connection with family and stuff like that uh, whether it was bulletin boards or then you know chat rooms on AOL or whatever so so it was a very it's been a very natural evolution for me but at the same time I also am in a visual field so I know that digital content was going to need to go there. It was going to need to go video. If you remember before COVID, how many people Zoomed? Mm-hmm. It was a thing that, yeah, it was kind of novelty. Yeah, you know, somebody sent me a Zoom link. I'll see what this is or oh, whatever. It didn't work. I'm just going to call them or get on a conference call. Now there's so many people that are Zooming that we almost have a cacophony of content. Like it's so much noise out there that's just digital noise, video, audio, um, and so now it's even more important to script your own messaging, to be sophisticated about it. And if everybody is Zooming after COVID, and you and I have been doing podcasts and shows like this for a long time, the quality of the output is going to be super critical that you are now not just a 2.0 version of what you were doing before, but a 3.0 and a 5.0 version, right? And that doesn't mean you have to look like CNN or MSNBC or Fox. Like, it doesn't have to be that canned, right? Because I think candid is better than canned, hmm. right? And and authentic is better than scripted. But you got to be comfortable in that space. You got to, you, and, and that means comfortable in yourself, comfortable in your material, honest and, 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 and genuine. And if you can come, can you can hit that sweet spot and you can do it in a manner that is, the correct formula for your subject matter or area of focus. Because the other thing I also see with social media, and now you got TikTok on top of the 
technique you know first it was it was just video and then it was stories and now it's TikTok, and you know then it's going to be like vr and ar using oculus i think everything has its place i've had people approach me and say you know, you've been doing this show for six years it's great you know you, I, I don't know how to do this i would like to do this but my thoughts are i'm going to do a finance show every week and i'm going to talk about specifically an area of finance It's going to be every week and it's going to be this way and i'm like you may want to consider once every three weeks you know like your content to stretch it out more maybe mm -hmm. unless you have something very specific your formula may be once every three weeks somebody who maybe is doing current events or local news you may want to do it every week if you somebody has a book and they're trying to basically put out their philosophy and their their messaging of their book i've and i've done this it's 12 chapters that's not a that's not an open-ended podcast or a show i don't even want to call them podcasts anymore show right? right that is a series that's almost like a made for tv movie kind of thing it's a series of 12 episodes right and mm -hmm. then maybe you spin it in a different way so it digital content is and, and social media is an amazing tool but you got to still be you know your your true sense of who you are your core still has to come through otherwise you just get lost in a, in a whole sea of noise and there is a lot of noise out there and you have definitely you have definitely cut through that here on the show today i'm wondering if someone would like to learn more about you rad or your firm where mm -hmm. would you direct them to go online well I, I said this to you when we were preparing for the show i said i think i said i think i'm infamous and overexposed mm -hmm. so but i think i'm in good company so uh the the uh the the, the business the rod gantus and associates business is under rodgantus.com and it's spelled r-a-a-d-g-h-a-n-t-o-u-s.com uh we're on facebook we're on linkedin we're on instagram um the website is being revamped so there's one there but it's there's be a new website coming up again we're reinventing like everybody else like it's got it's got to be relevant to now uh, the the rad life is the name of the show that i did for about six years and i've taken a little bit of a hiatus but uh, the plans are to bring it back in like a 3.0 kind of version um which will be remote as we have the ability now to do the remote three camera setups as well as in studio and we've got a couple of studios that we're using with and the post-production level will be sort of you know like national network kind of post-production level because i think it's it's not only important but it's also what people uh deserve to receive as far as quality content uh i also because like i was mentioning people had asked me to to help them with some stuff we set up a company called golden seal productions and when people go look at that the logo is a bear versus a seal so it doesn't have anything to do with the marine la marine animal life it has to do with the golden seal of approval for those old school consumer pro consumer people right so it's goldenseelproductions.com and we are open because i really believe it everybody has a has something to contribute and mm -hmm. if we can help people amplify their voice in a way that is beneficial to everybody uh we live in a society where a community i mean i think that's a valuable thing so you can find out more about that at goldensealproductions.com um and uh, yeah i mean some of the stuff in the works i'm i'm, I'm launching a a new show where i'm going to co-host uh called being gen x because i'm a gen xer and i feel that the baby boomers got a lot of exposure rightfully so and the millennials are getting a lot of exposure but we bridge generation of 64 million we don't we didn't hit the 70 million mark right 
kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I found it very funny when I went on Wikipedia that the ex, uh, Gen Xers are basically known as the slacker generation. And I'm like, I don't know one Gen Xer that's a slacker. <laughs> so uh, I feel like I need to I need to represent my, my generation and actually do it through something that I'm comfortable with. And it'll be fun. You know, we will we'll highlight certain people that are in that generation. We'll, I think it, we are a bridge generation. I think we really are a bridge generation. We've got one foot in analog and one foot in digital. And and I think it could be an interesting thing. And it, and it keeps me, you know, kind of um, driven, Rick. You know, it's like it's it's creative. It's, it's it's you know, it's it's sitting and visiting with people. You know, you know how it is when we do these things. There's a, there's a sort of a joy from the doing. And I think as a society, we have lost the art of um, of conversation. We sit down if there's an agenda. If there's a to-do list, you know, uh, I think I think what they say in the in the South, we visit. You know, see people sit down. Oh, we visited. You know, I think the art of visiting is something. Art of conversation is something that we have really uh, negatively impacted and we've lost. And unfortunately, when you look at current events and how political parties talk to one another and how even neighbors talk to one another, the fact that we have not really made this a something to champion and to improve, uh, we have suffered for as a society. I agree. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed you being on the program. Um, we have a relationship that goes back years, and it's always wonderful to bring people that I know and cherish onto the program. So thanks for giving up your time and being a part of our community. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you too, Rick. Keep doing what you're doing. I love Thank it. You. So, And, you know, when the show comes back, you got an open invitation. Thank you. I'll take you up on that. I'd like to thank you the audience, it. too, for being part of Orange County's longest-running business talk show, this was episode number 1,352. If you, like Rad, are an Orange County entrepreneur and you'd like to tell your story, then let's connect on LinkedIn. I'm Rick Franzi, R-I-C-F-R-A-N-Z-I, or visit my website, rickfranzi.com, and we'll see if we can't schedule you for some point in the future. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Mm -hmm.